Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. So uh, we are continuing our series called Filled and Led, and this language, as you've probably heard, is language that we've been saying uh, is our focus for the next three years, that we want to be a church of Jesus followers who are filled and led by the Spirit so that we can create a place uh, for people who don't have a home. And one of the reasons this has been our focus is because near the end of Jesus' life, this was his focus of emphasizing to his followers that there would be a helper, someone who would come to help them be like Jesus and do things like Jesus. In the first couple weeks of the series, we talked about what does it look like as committed Jesus followers to ask the Spirit of God to deepen us and to mature us. And today I'm moving to the second part of the phrase of spirit-filled and spirit-led. I'm going to try to answer the question of how do we discern if the Holy Spirit is leading us? Now, you may ask, why is this even the question in the first part? And it kind of touches on what Brother Gill said in communion. Uh, In John 14 through 16, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you all things. Spirit's going to remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit will tell you what is yet to come, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. In other words, the Spirit of God will lead us. And as I was preparing this week, I actually feel like this is a timely word for the cultural moment in which many of us exist in right now. Because right now in the cultural moment we find ourselves in is that many people are led by many different things. And to be honest, people are also being led away from life with Jesus in several different ways. It's not time to move away from the Spirit of God. It's time right now in this cultural moment to be led by the Spirit of truth. There are multiple leaders in uh, the West right now that are discussing and talking about this. I find one of the most helpful frameworks uh, to be a writer and Christian leader by the name of John Tyson, who kind of talks about the crisis that we are in right now in the West as far as when it comes to truth. And here's kind of the framework he gives of what's happening in this cultural moment is that we're experiencing three things. We're experiencing theological compromise, we're experiencing moral compromise, and we're also experiencing leadership compromise. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like we are, hmm, we found some lights this morning. Um, It's kind of like we are experiencing what Paul describes in 2 Timothy chapter 4. At one point, there is literally writing that says, uh, verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. 
couple examples of, you know, one with theological compromise. It is, uh, it's kind of like a discussion today when thinking about, uh, is Jesus just kind of one way to God? When Christians have always held that Jesus is the way. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Another example of a theological compromise would be saying like, you know, maybe the resurrection is just kind of an analogy. Like maybe it's just imagery. It didn't actually literally historically happen. And Christians have always claimed historically, literally, Jesus rose from the dead. In moral compromise, right now we're in a cultural moment where if something sounds good or feels good, then it's got to be true. One of the ways we see this in our culture is kind of the attitude or the saying of your truth. That you can hold kind of your truth over there and I'll hold my truth over here and we'll all play well with each other. And that may seem like that works really well, but when we introduce words, words like bullying or genocide, abuse, we can't hold conversations that's just about your truth and my truth. Then we start running into the world may have actually been designed and created and had intentions with the creator. And then last, finally, a leadership compromise. We're experiencing a cultural moment right now where a lot of the private lives of people who lead in the name of Jesus are not matching up. Their words and their walk are not matching up together. And people are walking away. I did college ministry for nearly 10 years before I transitioned over here. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I used to tell people a decent amount of time. I'm not sure it's YouTube on deconstruction from atheists that are really taking down my college students and their faith as much as it is their congregations back home and what people would post on social media when it comes to different leaders. A lot of people have traded spiritual leaders for political leaders, and there's generations behind my age that they are walking away from Jesus because we've been prioritizing the wrong thing. We need the spirit of truth to bring us back, to lead us back to the one who claimed that he was truth this morning. It is like our world needs a warning from the book of Isaiah, where literally God warns the people, woe to those of you who call what evil is good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The good news of God that I want everyone to hear this morning is that you are not left in this world to decide truth. You are not left in this world to make up your own truth. Jesus assures you there is one in the world who will guide you and lead you to truth. Now, I say all this, and I also recognize that Christians sometimes pendulum swing, especially when the world is in a moment of theological compromise, in moments of leadership compromise. Sometimes the temptation of Christians is to pendulum swing and to say, the world is scary out there. So we're going to hide ourselves away and we're going to hunker down 
and we're just not going to engage with the world at all. And this is where we turn to the book of Acts. And we find that the Jesus followers did not close themselves off to the world. What they did is they opened themselves up to the Holy Spirit to guide them and lead them. They were not filled with the Spirit to just stay in the upper room. God's people were filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and fill the world with the good news of God's kingdom. And that can happen today for us just as much so. So today's message, uh, I'm simply trying to give us some handles of how we don't pendulum swing in the world. Of either we just hook, line, and sinker whatever's happening in the world, and we go with it, and we don't pendulum swing, and our stories become the end of the story that was read in Acts 5, where God's people are literally fighting against God. Today I'm answering the question, how we open ourselves up to being led by the Spirit of God without being led astray away from God. Or simply just to put it, how do we make a call in our everyday lives that the Spirit may be behind something or inviting us to something? And how we do this in a reasonable way. Here's how I'd like to do it. Uh, I'd like to do it David Letterman style, okay? That's how I'd like to do it for you. Do we remember David Letterman? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he uh, really, you know, he's kind of more of my generation than most of y'all's generation. I get that, so uh, I'll educate you on it. All right, so he, uh, he ran a late show, started way back in the 80s, and he had like this segment that he called like the top 10, where he would basically take a subject and then he'd put uh, 10 themes around it. Sometimes they had nothing to do with each other. Um, and, uh, one of my favorite segments that was his original segment was uh, top 10 words that rhyme with peas. Okay, they were just random things sometimes that he would do. Uh, I want to give you a top 10 today. I'm going to run through it really fast, okay? Top 10 filters, guardrails, hooks that you can hang your hat on while discerning if the Spirit of God is in something or someone. And to do this, we need to go to the moment that is in Acts 5. If you have a Bible with you today, I'd encourage you to actually turn uh, to where Claire read Acts 5 for us this morning. The moments that have led up to Acts 5 is the followers of Jesus have taken Jesus at his word, that the Spirit will lead them. And the Spirit is leading them in some very crazy ways. The name of Jesus is spreading. People are giving their lives over to him in baptism. People are repenting. Healings are happening. And the religious leaders catch word of this and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to bring you in and we're going to ask, why are you doing this? Whose name are you doing this in. And I want to just walk you through the text slowly and just kind of give you 10 guardrails, 10 filters, 10 hooks of discerning the Spirit and the Spirit's work. All right, so here we go. Are we ready for this? Some of you are like, 10 points. This feels like a longer sermon than usual, okay? All right, don't worry. By dinner, we will be done. Okay, all right, so here we go. Uh, number 10, Spirit-led people don't need to tell you that they are Spirit-led 
people. Acts 5 verse 27, I want you to notice that when the Spirit of God is at work, they do not go to the religious leaders. The religious leaders actually bring in the disciples to them. We should be cautious around anyone that feels like they need to convince you. They need to grab you by the cheeks and tell you that they are spirit. They don't need to convince you. Their lives and their fruit should show you that they are faithful, joyful, peaceful people. When the Spirit of God fills and leads people, it's not for self-serving experience, but it's service to Jesus. That's the whole reason for spiritual gifts in the first place, is to serve Jesus and serve the people who Jesus loves. That's the first one. All right, so here we go. Number nine, I told you it'd be fast, uh, is natural and necessary to ask questions about if the Holy Spirit is leading. In the latter half of Acts 5, 27, uh, the apostles were brought in and they were made to appear before the court and the high priest actually asked them questions. You know, one of the things that Luke does in the book of Acts is he uses the word filled to be able to be a play on words. And one of the things that Luke does as he writes through Acts is he says, as the disciples are filled with the Spirit, Luke's going to use the same language all around other people's reactions of them being filled by the Spirit. And Luke will say things like, hey, they're filled with anger. They're filled with jealousy. They're filled with wonder. They're filled with amazement. And this is one of Luke's way of being like, hey, when the Spirit is working, people are filled with all sorts of emotions and motivations. And not all motivations are the right motivations. That's why the people of God must discern the work of the Holy Spirit. This is actually John's language that he'll use in 1 John chapter 4. He says, dear friends, do not believe in every spirit, but test, or that's that same word discern, but discern the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. In other words, just because something can be from God doesn't mean we just assume it's from God. We shouldn't be automatic about it. We should test it. We should discern it. We should ask questions around it. And then your next question may be, okay, if we ask questions about the Holy Spirit's movement, what what are we comparing it to? What are we filtering it through? And I'm glad you asked that because that leads us to number eight. The Holy Spirit does not lead us in a way contrary to the scriptures. Maybe a way to state this more firmly for us. The Spirit of God will not lead us in a way that overrides undermines or contradicts the Bible. Notice that one of the first things that come out of the mouths of the disciples when they're explaining the work of the Spirit is they say, the God of our ancestors. This is a massive point. It is not up to each generation of faith 
to create their faith. We receive our faith. We're not making something up out of thin air. We actually receive a world view. This is what Christians mean when they say that the Bible is authoritative. What we mean by that is we're saying we believe that the Bible is trustworthy. That it describes the nature of God and it also speaks to what life with God looks like. And Christians don't lean on the scriptures just because it's a really old document. There's a lot of old documents that exist around there. Christians believe that the Spirit inspired these 66 books written across at least 40 authors in three different languages over a lifespan of 1,400 years. We trust the scriptures to guide us. The Spirit of God who helps speak those words speaks through those words today. It's actually one of the reasons that you find like in Colossians 3.16, like you find that Paul is literally emphasizing, he's like, let the message of Christ dwell in your heart. The Spirit leads us by knowing what the Bible has said. As one of my mentors always emphasized to me when he was discipling me and growing me up, if our Bibles are not open, then most likely our ears are not open either. If we want to be led by God, then we need to know the stories of God and how God has led. Because if we don't, we're just creating our own faith out of thin air instead of receiving what's been given to us. Number seven, I'm, I'm coming in. I'm coming in this morning. I don't know if y'all are with me, but I'm, I'm here. Uh, here we go. Number seven, uh, discern the leading of the Holy Spirit is an act of obedience. Acts 5, verse 29. Uh, this is what the disciples say to some of the most powerful and well-read people that know about God. They're like, look, here's the bottom line. We must obey God rather than obeying human beings. Translation, we must obey God more than obeying you. When we say yes to the invitations of the Spirit, and I don't want to say this lightly, when we say yes to the invitations of the Holy Spirit, we will face resistance. There are powers and principalities at work not just a battle of flesh and blood. There will be resistance. And sometimes there's resistance and influence that's even happening around God's people. And Peter and the disciples, when they know that Jesus is at work, they know they must obey. They must discern and obey what the Spirit of God is leading them to do. Number six, the open tomb means that we are open to resurrection power. Acts 5, verse 30. The God of our ancestors, this is, what, this is what Peter proclaims. Peter's on a roll. He says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. He's saying this to the religious. These are the people who help facilitate the forgiveness of God. The day of atonement. Literally, these are the people who help facilitate. And he's like, Y'all killed him. The people who represent God, y'all are the ones who killed him. But we're doing these things because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, there's a historical point that would be helpful here. 
Um, when it came to the religious leaders that Peter and the disciples are in front of, uh, not all, but most, not all, but most, religious leaders would believe that there would be a final day, a resurrection of the dead. But they believed that that would happen at the end of time. At the very end, when God wants to close up the book and call it, there would be a resurrection of the dead. What no one foresaw happening was one that the Messiah, God's chosen one, would be crucified like a robber. But second, that that Messiah would actually be resurrection, not at the end of time, but actually in the middle of time. That resurrection could be seen, that Jesus was there and experienced in person, in full resurrection form, in the middle of time. This is why Christians say that the resurrection is the foretaste of what is to come. Jesus shows us what is to come in the midst of the middle of time. It's as if Peter is saying the good news of God didn't just happen and in one day is going to happen, but it's also happening right now. And if resurrection power can flow, can happen right now in the middle of time, God's people should be open to that resurrection power. Like Paul literally in Ephesians prayed, I hope you know the power of the resurrection. So it's okay for us to pray for things like healing and pray for things like addiction to be destroyed. It's okay for us to pray for those things because we believe in resurrection power. And we're not saying, you need to hear me very clearly, we're not saying that we've got a tap on the mysteries of God and that there aren't some hard sufferings and things that in this side of heaven, we will always endure and go through. We're not calling up God's number and saying that we know what God is going to heal and what God's not going to heal. But if we're people that are open to resurrecting power, then God wants us to ask. And some of us, we may think, you know, like, let's pray for healing. Let's pray for addiction. To be destroyed. Those feel like really bold claims and i understand that and we also testify to a really bold claim by a savior that defeated death not in the future but also right now i know in some of my hardest moments this is just a, a pastoral note i know in some of my hardest moments i've prayed really safe prayers that i can nuance my way out of and why I do that is because I don't want to risk disappointment. And I really get that. And I understand that. And I think for some of us, we get in seasons where we feel like we can't pray for bold things because we don't know if our hearts can handle it if it doesn't happen. And as we hold that tension, I also want us to hold the tension that Jesus does not go around talking about God like he's this clockmaker that wound up the world and now his hands are completely out of everything. That there's this upstairs and downstairs and God's in the upstairs and he's left the kids all in the downstairs and there's nothing that he's doing in the midst of it. The Spirit of God works in subtle ways and also in surprising ways. 
And because of resurrection power, we should be open to both of those. Next one. Number five. The Spirit of God doesn't lead us isolated from everyone else. In essence, the leading of the Holy Spirit is not a Lone Ranger activity. When Peter is literally making a defense in verse 32, he says, we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those of us who are obeying. If the Spirit of God is doing something in our lives or inviting us to something in our lives, we should also ask other people around us. Like, we should let the community of God also help affirm and confirm what God may be inviting or convicting or challenging us to. There's a writer by the name of Eugene Peterson that he has. He says, one of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical. We instead of I, are instead of my, us instead of me. We should be weary of anyone that's walking around saying that the Holy Spirit has told me and no one else in the community is hearing or sensing that as well. Number four, are we ready for number four? I feel like this should have been top seven because some of you are like, I'm already overwhelmed. All right, here we go. Number four, Spirit leads through trusted leaders. Spirit leads through trusted leaders. Do you notice the reaction of the council when Peter's literally defending? They get angry and they're like, let's kill him. These are God's people. This is like God's highest religious leader group. And they're like, let's kill him. Let's shut this thing down. And then you have God working through one man. Now I want you to notice the description that Acts is going to give you of this man. That he was a teacher of the law. In other words, he knew God's ways. He was honored. Another translation would say respected by all people. He stood up. He was one who had courage. This is why God gives us leaders. People who are practiced in knowing the story of God and knowing how God can be working. If you flip later in Acts, and this is just for my Bible people, they're like, I love a good Bible study. You can even go to Acts 22 verse 3, and you actually find out this guy's the same teacher as Saul. For most of us know him as Paul. This is how well-respected of a teacher he was. In translation, this guy's the man. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you remember in God's stories that there was a time? There was a time where there was a group of guys that they stood up to the powers that were and the powers that be. And they were actually thrown into a furnace for pushing back on this. Jesus, the one that they're claiming, he was brought in the courts before people and accused. Sometimes when we don't know what God is doing in our lives, it's good to trust leaders who are attentive, who are dedicating their lives to hearing what God is doing. Number three, uh, discerning the Holy Spirit's leading takes slow, careful consideration. In Acts 5, verse 35, this is literally the language he uses. Men of Israel, consider carefully 
what you intend to do to these men. In essence, slow down. Don't be hasty. Don't make a snap judgment. Watch. Let's wait and see. We like to be people who are swift and God likes to be slow. We are but just a time. God is all of eternity. Sometimes it's really wise when we're starting to learn the ways of God by going slow. We don't jump to conclusions, but we're also open and we wait for what God could be doing. Number two, everyone doing it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is doing it. In Acts 5, 36 and 37, if you just read through there, the, it, like literally, he, the leader makes a defense. He's like, hey, remember, there were two movements before this, and they were of human origin, and they failed. One way that this kind of translates to us today is just because something feels spiritual or is enjoyable or liberating doesn't necessarily mean that the Spirit of God is behind it. I'll never forget, I had a professor in college that he literally, he literally described to me, he's like, have you, have you ever focused on the description of the tree in the Garden of Eden that said it was good and the food was pleasing to the eye? Isn't that interesting that God created something and that it looked good, but those were still not standards to actually eat from the tree? at all. It's as if Genesis is giving us a critique that just because something is beautiful and God has made it and it may have great taste doesn't mean that's the sole metric for discernment. That we should pay close attention to what God advises, not from what people advise. And then number one, this is the top, top one. Following the Holy Spirit will always lead us to follow Jesus more deeply. Acts 5 verse 30, literally the description is that God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as leader, pioneer is another way to say that, as pioneer and savior that he may bring Israel to repentance and forgive them of their sins. In other words, all the work that the Holy Spirit is doing with the disciples is pointing to Jesus. The Spirit helps exalt, glorify, and lead us to Jesus. One of the foundational things they teach you in Theology 101 is when it comes to God, when it comes to the Trinity, no person of God is selfish. It's always other-focused. The Spirit is always pointing to Jesus. The Spirit is not self-centered. The Spirit wants to make us like Jesus and point us to Jesus and show people Jesus. As one God-trusted thinker said, J.J. Packer, he said, the Spirit is like light that stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder onto Jesus, who stands facing us. The Spirit's message is never, look at me. The Spirit's message is always, look at Him. The end goal is Jesus. 
It's always been Jesus and always will be Jesus. Jesus is the truth, the way and the life that we need in this extremely dark world. So let me finish you with an image. Uh, you know, I've mentioned, I don't know, about 5,000 times uh, that um, uh, I grew up uh, on the summers with my uh, grandparents uh, on their farm. And one of the things I despised doing the most was uh, if we ever had to go feed animals late at night, uh, we'd have to hop in a truck and we'd have to go out there. And the reason I hated this is because I grew up on a, uh, a real healthy dose of Nightline and 2020 episodes. Um, so I was always thinking, if I am left in a dark field alone, I am going to get murdered. Um, and it didn't help that the fields that we grew up in, uh, they had hogs at night. That would just kind of, they'd move around the grass, okay? You could hear them, you couldn't see them, but you could hear them. And my grandfather, he thought, I guess he thought it would be fun. Um, he would give me a light about this size, okay? A puny light that he'd be like, just shine it at them if you see them. I guess so I can see them laughing as they eat me was, I guess, his goal. But I remember I'd carry around this puny flashlight in these dark, dark fields. And all I could do is I could just hear just the rustling of danger just all around me. But I remember one night. One night, he let me not have the puny flashlight. But what he instead let me have is he let me have the big floodlight. Okay? I called her Bertha. I called her Bertha the floodlight. Bertha was awesome. First of all, like technology has just messed up this illustration because it was the size of my head, Okay? to get as powerful as it needed. It wasn't battery operated. You had to plug that bad boy into a 12 volt, okay? It needed power. And one of the best parts about the floodlight is man, when you heard something and you needed a floodlight, when you hit that bad boy and you caught a hog with this light, bleed away. You could shine and it, it would just flee away into the darkness. And it was the best thing in the world. That there was a strong enough, powerful enough light to reveal in the darkness what needed to see. And when the light was there, whatever was in the darkness fleed. I think the illustration speaks enough. I would be lying to you if there are some complex hard, scary powers in the world. But the promise of Jesus is that you have the light of Christ, one that can lead you in truth that the darkness flees from. Maybe to paraphrase what Jesus told his disciples in Luke 11, there will be powers, there will be authorities that will drag you in front of them. And when you get in front of them, you do not need to worry or be anxious of what you will say or how you will defend yourself. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit will teach you and give you everything you need. May the Spirit of God lead us in truth this week.